Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Crypto Hipster Podcast. This is your host, the Crypto Hipster, Jamil Hassan, where I bring you founders, entrepreneurs, executives, thought leaders, artists, musicians, you name it, all over the world in crypto and blockchain. And today, actually today and the summer season, I am bringing to you a new compilation episode. Last year, from seasons one, two, and three, I brought you the Crypto Hipsters Chronicles. And now, from season four and five, without further ado, I bring you the Crypto Hipsters Mysticals. And what that is, and what it was last year, and what it is this year, it's a compilation. It's a compilation of three or four podcasts together as like a montage. And on a certain topic or area of interest in crypto and blockchain, pulling from my podcasts. And now, as we're heading to the summer of 2023, I bring to you the Crypto Hipsters Mysticals. And there's going to be 22 or 23 or 24 around their episodes. And I look forward to you looking forward to it. So thank you very much for tuning in. Thank you for, for enjoying my podcasts. And this is going to be a summer treat for everybody. So please sit back, enjoy, and uh, yeah, let me know your thoughts. Crypto Hipsters Mysticals, Episode 3, Influencing the World Through Rapidly Evolving Technological Landscape, is a combination of three crypto hipster podcasts. Jules Dudko, who's the founder of Frequency. Second, Samoon Kanuganti, who's the co-founder and CEO of Personal AI. And third, Diego DiTomaso, who is the co-founder and chief operating officer of Over. Enjoy. One of the things I noticed this past few weeks is this is um, there's been some predatory con uh, creating creator influencers recently, um, really like in this new meet over the last, last three weeks has been this meme coin explosion. But some of the content creators are going overboard to try to try to influence people to, to invest in these. Like what's the line that needs to be drawn between being a content creator and being somebody who is predatory? It, it's funny that you bring this up because whenever people approach me for influencer marketing, I immediately tell them that we don't work with shillers at frequency and that we build sustainable ambassadors and, and, you know, and partnerships with brands and people. But I don't think this is a crypto native problem. This is something that I've personally seen since the inception of the quote unquote influencer economy. I think before this was a approach that people had on Instagram before there were regulations by the SEC, you didn't have to tag that something was advertised. And so a lot of influencers would get by getting paid millions of dollars without actually showing that it was promoted. And ultimately, when the SEC had published that it had to be, you know, your, your audience had to be notified that it is promoted, it still is kind of a gray area, right? Because it's not like everybody, no one can really know is it promoted or not. And so I think we're having the exact same 
discourse about this within the Web3 community, I've always stood on the side of we're building something new. We are basically in a new place. We're able to create something new. It is our responsibilities, the people who are shaping this new world, to be able to create a sustainable way for influencers to exist. And to be honest, it makes me very upset that it's that's the way it's gone down, that people are afraid to buy something or people are buying because someone on the internet told them so. So I do hope we're able to sort of take all the best parts of Web2 and leave out the toxicity and somehow maybe with regulation come up to a, a better way for people to be able to, you know, buy coins or buy NFTs outside of the Schiller community. Kind of one of the reasons why I don't talk about what coins I own, <laughs> you know, um, I never do. So exactly. Oh my gosh, do your do your own research. <laughs> yeah, do your own research. I'm not going to tell your favorite influencer because they didn't do their own research. They never worked in technology in their life, you know. Um, so yeah, that's so. Why am I helping them out? You <laughs> know, that's how I. But. And it's funny because everyone is just starting to uncover this, but I think because I've sort of been behind the curtain, I saw it very, I saw it happening very clearly. And I think in the beginning, there was all these kumbaya days that everyone thought Web3 was going to solve all the Web3 problems and influencers who initially started out with 500 followers ended up, you know, pumping their numbers. And again, we're kind of thrown into this influencer cycle. And because a lot of crypto people have never exposed, never been exposed to such followings. It's like, you know, everything old becomes new again. And so it was very clear that that's how the cycle was going to start. And this is what it was going to end up at. Yeah, I don't know a million people. I know like all the baseball moms and dads of my kids teams, which is like, what, 48. <laughs> so, you know, and that's a lot. Uh, but, uh, I want to talk about something technical first, and then I want to get back to the web too, what you said. Um, I want to talk about uh, face scanning, right? 3D face scanning, uh, which which is, I guess is used to create the deep face or whatever. What, how can 3D face scanning and AI along with blockchain power more sustainable commerce? Great question. Uh, right before I had uh, founded Frequency, I'd worked with a company that was using face scanning technology to print 3D sunglasses. And you would basically take your phone, it would perfectly scan your face, and then it would be sent to the lab to be able to print almost indestructible sunglasses with completely zero waste. And they had no inventory. It would take a couple of weeks to receive them, but they were such great quality that to me, I think that's where I started going down this rabbit hole of technology and, you know, VR and AR and metaverses and how we're going to be able to coexist with them. And uh, how can we coexist with them? <laughs> how can we coexist with them? To be honest, I think this is an ongoing topic for me as a person. The more I go down this rabbit hole, the more ideas I have of the type of products that people can build to safeguard us. But to be honest, Right now, it's just having, you know, a it's it's just being able to think critically and having an eye out and being able to start to question something on the internet a little bit more than we did before. How do you create AI that's ethical, and what are some of the benchmarks or ways you can determine the benchmarks? So think about 
creating AI in personal AI case as an extension of one. So far, what we know of AI is something else, something else that doesn't have an identity, something else that doesn't have, you know, the know-how of who or what that is. Uh, think, you know, Alexa, the brand behind Alexa is what? Amazon, right? So people trust Amazon brand and they will associate with it, but not everybody does it, right? Think about, you know, open AI generative model. Uh, <clears throat> it is useful for some things so that you use it, but it's a AI. So, you know, what what is that uh, ethics? Like is ethics of Amazon? Is it ethics of open AI or is it ethics of the data? Is it like, what is it, right? Because you don't have the identity or you don't have, uh, it's, it's at the mercy of what data goes in. It's at the mercy of, you know, what are the collection methods of data that happened or who worked on it, right? Because AI as it stands today, you know, we can talk about the, you know, taking over the world, but at the end of the day, it is a restructuring, reforming, resynthesizing of the data that is given to it, okay? Um, and uh, uh, like text to image generation is a very good example, right? It is, it, it is dreaming, right? So, you know, what is it? Uh, so I think the ethics from our standpoint uh, only comes into play if you are able to attribute the work that AI is doing to a group of people or to an individual or to an organization. Right now it is associated with an organization, but organization do not claim the, you know, ethical, uh, I guess attribution to a response from an AI because it is an AI, so we cannot do anything about it. Uh, so the fundamental theory for personal AI, maybe it's an advantage on how we do things, is everything is associated to a, a individual. So if you, you know, it's it's as ethical as that individual person is. So you don't question about AI, you question about uh, sorry, you don't question ethics of the AI, you question ethics of the person because that person determines the data that goes into that particular model, right? So the question is not about is ethical AI, the question is about is it ethical data, <laughs> right? Um, so yeah, that's my response to it, but maybe we are better suited for it because uh, uh, you know our models are fundamentally driven by an individual and the brand associated with it, trust, uh, associated with it, ethics associated with it, diversity, opinions associated with it are down to the individual. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I'm just looking, you know, what you said, you said trust factor, right? Um, and you mm -hmm. said it a couple of times and it's important and I agree with you. Um, there's a lot of gaslighting that goes on by the media and people who try to do their own research, right? So, how do we begin to build that AI-based Web3 that's fair for everybody? Um, make sure, so, so there are two ways to think about it. One, are you a user of the AI or are you a builder or the creator of the AI, right? So far, like, you know, majority of the people in the world are the user of the AI the consumer of the AI. You may be using it, but you don't know it. For example, if you go to Amazon, you shop a thing for Christmas, 
the next immediate thing that it recommends you is coming from an AI, right? So in most cases, directly or indirectly, we are the users of the AI. Now, our positioning is that, hey, look, you don't have to be just users of AI. We are giving you a system, a platform, where you can control your destiny on what your AI can do for you with your own data. So we are, we are basically giving people a choice, like or a tool, hey, take this, uh, you know, platform or system uh, and then build it in the way that uh, you would, right? And I think that is our response to, you know, how you would do it. I wanted to hear that because back in the 90s, we didn't have the metaverse. We had bars and you and alcohol was the metaverse if you had enough of it. Uh, so um, so let me ask you this. Why should the metaverse use new innovations in AR to build experiences that replicate real life? Um, this is a different take on the same question. but Yeah, so um, our vision is that uh the future is a blend uh between what is the a and the pure ar and the pure vr experience uh so right now we think about these like two different realms uh sometimes we talk about uh, uh extended reality and so on but we've never seen really this happening and and of course every uh, the, the two means have their strength uh in different uh, kind of situations no like for example uh, if I'm thinking about the virtual events, probably an occlusive representation of the location is much more powerful, or an e-commerce, virtual e-commerce, uh, is much more powerful probably with the uh, with the environment around you that gives you the feel and the mood of the brand and so on. Uh, but if you want to have, for example, uh, meet people, have holograms of people around you, it's much more powerful if they are mixed with reality, or even presenting a single product, like for example, what Apple is doing since long time, showcasing their products in AR, uh, that, that's the reason why they do that, because our brains are wired to process 3D data in the physical world. And so if you present a 3D object in the 2D screen, it's much more or less powerful uh, than seeing it mixed with reality. It gives you another impression. So the one in AR is much more powerful. So it really hits you uh, in, 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 a, in, a strong, in, in a more immediate way. So it's clear that the two uh, technologies have their merits in, in each, uh, I mean, in different sectors. Uh, but the very powerful thing, and I think I, I'm very excited about this, that uh, the technology now is starting, we, we see that the first example of this, allowing us to mix the two. And, and one example is, is uh, this map to earn uh, system that I was mentioning before. Uh, for example, we, when we started building this system, we was only thinking about precise geolocalization. So having the augmented reality experience. Uh, but since one year ago, uh, a technology came out called Neura Render, uh, Neura Radiance Fields, for, uh, was uh, issued by uh, NVIDIA. And since then, many people have been working in this technology. So with these algorithms, from the pictures that we use for precise geolocalization, we can actually reconstruct the location, create an hallucination, a kind of 3D representation of how the location is. So what does it mean? It means that uh, we can use the same data to actually have an experience in augmented reality, but then I could also have a remote experience of that location. Maybe I'm not in the location. Uh, I don't know, maybe I'm in the Sistine Chapel. I would see something augmented over there. I'm not in the Sistine Chapel. I can see it from my home. And 
in the way to generate this digital twin, this copy of the world, is basic is based on the same data, these pictures that people can take. So I really see a future where the distinction between AR and VR is gonna blur a lot. And so we are gonna uh, for the same for for the same location, we will have different kinds of experiences depending on what we want to experience. We want to have a, a concert, we want to have a visit. Of the location we want to meet somebody so it really depends on what kind of experience you want to have we will transpose the experience in ar or in vr i'm going to go down this path um so um you start so let's talk about i want to talk about the maps but i also want to talk about you said it started out as the fashion web um and so some of the real world applications of vr and vr technology you know, um, one of them is entertainment sector, right? Um, what are some others and how will this affect the blockchain industry? And then I'll get into the maps. Yeah, so uh, regarding the uh, the use cases for uh, the metaverse, let's say. So uh, I think that now uh, with the metaverse, we are just uh, at the beginning, like we was in the internet in the 90s. And, and when I think about the internet in the 90s, I think about the story of Amazon. So Amazon uh, started selling books. And I mean, that was the low hanging fruit back then. And I mean, it worked very well. But if we think about that uh, now, uh, the I mean, the, the share of the Amazon business of books is just maybe 0.5%, something like that. So right now, what we see in the metaverse are the first low hanging fruits. And so gaming, for sure. Uh, it's a it's it's a big thing. Uh, live events, it's another big thing that that can happen in the metaverse. But this is really just the beginning. Uh, when I think about the other use case that I think will be very powerful very soon, uh, for example, fashion, uh, it's one thing that I I believe uh, is gonna get more and more traction. And also that's the reason why we we're working on that direction. For example, partnering with uh, uh, the Central for the Metaverse uh, Fashion Week that is gonna happen in March. So if you think about that, we really care a lot about our identity in the digital space. So think about your Twitter profile or your Facebook profile and so on. There's people that even rent cars to take pictures and look cool in the in the in this uh, web to metaverse, let's say. So the more we spend time uh, in the metaverse, the more will be important to uh, actually have control on what is our uh, physical representation in the metaverse, so our avatar uh, um, way of looking. And I mean, fashion uh, is, is, is something that is out there since centuries, and it's a way of express yourself. So of course, uh, I really believe that the more time we pass in the metaverse, the more we have an avatar presence, the more important these digital goods uh, will be. So uh, probably fashion that will be another uh, big trend that we are going to see happening very, very soon. And we already see the, the first signs of that.